Welcome to Have You Heard the AABP Podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and today I am joined by AABP member BJ Newcomer. BJ, you want to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thanks for having me, Fred. Um, Like Fred said, my name is BJ Newcomer. I am a dairy veterinarian and currently teach at the Vero program, which is part of the Texas A&M School of Veterinary Medicine here in the Texas Panhandle, and my emphasis here is on dairy cattle. Great. And our topic today is uh, uh, Neospora, uh, which is a very common cause of abortions uh, in cattle, and and we're going to walk through that. And I just want to mention that this podcast was suggested by our AABP Reproduction Committee, and uh, we really appreciate committees and their engagement in the organization. I want to remind our listeners that if you are an AABP member and you want to start to get involved with organized veterinary medicine, committees are a great way to do that. And uh, this is just one of the things that committees uh, do for our members is that they provide topics and content to provide some good continuing education for our members. So we hope you enjoy uh, this podcast from our reproduction committee. So BJ, let's start off and just uh, let's review a little bit on what the etiologic agent is that causes bovine uh, neospora. Sure. So the agent is a, is a protozoal parasite and it's called neospora, neospora caninum, uh, first described about little more than 30 years ago, um, but it is a protozoal organism. And um, how common is this? I, re- I remember my, my very first job when I got out of veterinary school. I worked for this in the Central Valley of California, and it, it seemed like it was the most common uh, uh, agent that we diagnosed when we submitted uh, abortions to the diagnostic lab. Is it still a pretty common cause of abortion in the U.S.? It, it is. And that's, that's a great example, Fred. I think we actually worked at the same practice uh, when we were in practice. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, it is the most commonly uh, diagnosed pathogen or cause of bovine abortions, not just in the West, but all across the United States, as well as across the world. Several countries, Europe, Africa, you know, uh, they all find this parasite and it is the most commonly diagnosed. So certainly we know that a lot of bovine abortions aren't diagnosed, but when they can find a cause, this is the most common cause that's, that they're able to put a pin on. And is it is it seen in beef herds too? Do we see it in cow-calf herds? That is a great question. I think that's one of the myths that's out there is that this is a dairy-only disease, but the reality is, is that we find uh, Neospora wherever we look for it. So, yes, it is in beef herds. It is probably one of the leading causes of abortion in beef herds, in cow-calf herds. Um, so some studies would indicate that the prevalence is maybe not quite as high in beef as it is in dairy. And that probably reflects management differences more than inherent immunities by beef cattle. So, yes, it is in both beef and dairy cattle. Interesting. And how about the typical clinical presentation? What do we usually see uh, in animals that are that are infected uh, and abort? That that's a, that's a great question, and that can be the frustrating part. Is that sometimes we really don't see a lot for a cow um, that aborts. You know, she's not going to show other signs of illness, and so. 
Um, we tend to see just this midterm abortion. Abortions can happen at any time with Neospora, but most commonly it's that mid gestation range, somewhere four to six to seven months, somewhere in there. And that can really take two forms, depending on the prevalence. There can be abortion storms, where we have a whole bunch of cows abort at the same time, or we can have an increase in the endemic level of abortion, uh, just where there's a higher background rate of abortion, which is sometimes harder to notice. But the cow itself, when she aborts, she doesn't show other signs of illness. And so a lot of times, unless we're actually finding the fetus, uh, looking for the fetus, we're not actually going to notice that anything's wrong until it comes to calving time and that cow's found to be open. Yeah, yeah, which is a disaster. Um, and, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. And how about, is there is there a treatment or a vaccine available in, in the U.S.? Great question. And right now, the, the frustrating answer is no, there is not. Um, there is not either a vaccine or a treatment uh, that is licensed uh, and commercially available. So there is on the research side, there's still a lot of interest in developing a vaccine that is effective. But as of right now, uh, there that's not an option. And so really the only option we have to manage Neospora is through management decisions rather than through vaccine or chemical therapeutics. Yeah, and that can be frustrating, especially when producers are working through abortion storms uh, and you have a lot of animals uh, that abort all at once. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, those management decisions uh, and recommendations. But let's review a little bit about the life cycle of, of Neospora caninum and, and how that transmission occurs uh, uh, that, that could lead to an abortion. Sure. So the life cycle, there's kind of two different parts to the life cycle, if you will. The cow is an incidental host, as are some other ruminants like white-tailed deer, for example. Um, but then, as you might guess from the name, Neospora caninum, there are canids or dogs that would be involved in that life cycle that are the definitive host. And so generally what we think about happening is uh, that dog consumes uh, either an aborted fetus or an animal that has tissue cysts that releases uh, these what are called tachyzoites. And then these form oocysts that the dog then uh, passes in the feces. If these feces are ingested by cattle or some other incidental host, uh, they sporulate and release these tachyzoites, which are essentially rapidly dividing cells, which will get out of the gut and then rapidly replicate and infect the fetus or other muscles of the cow. Um, and so that's one form, and that's what we call exogenous transmission, where it's actually passed from dogs to cattle. That's kind of the classic side. What may be more common and more concerning for us as as bovine veterinarians is the endogenous side where vertical transmission of Neospora is, is very common, very high. Um, and so we know that an infected cow, a cow infected with Neospora has a very good chance of passing that on to her calf. And so that cycle replicates. And, that that first that exogenous uh, transmission, BJ, that requires uh, a dog 
as part of the life cycle transmission. Is that correct? That That is correct. A dog or I think coyotes, yeah. wolves have also been shown, but some sort of canid has to be involved. Um, and that just is for the sexual reproduction of that organism. Um, and then to complete that cycle, those that's parasite is passed in the feces and then cattle would have to ingest that. So as long as we're protecting our feed from contamination, that should be one of those management decisions where, you know, we don't need to get rid of all our dogs on the farm, but we do need to protect our feed from contamination, which hopefully we should be doing anyway. Yeah. And a lot of producers, one of the things that they may be concerned with is, is that I have this cow, she aborted, is she contagious to other adult cows? Is there transmission that can go from cow to cow, or is it only vertical where it goes from, from dam to fetus? That, that's a great question, and there's really very little risk of that cow contaminating or her nates or infecting or her nates. And so it is just vertical transmission when we're talking about cattle. Um, if you have a Neospora positive cow that's in the herd, she is not going to spread it to her herd mates other than through her offspring. So you're exactly right. It's more that vertical transmission that we're concerned about. Yeah, yeah. And it's important for veterinarians to know that, communicate that to your producers, especially during the abortion storm, high anxiety time, and 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 make sure that you understand that life cycle. So let's talk about um, you have an abortion. What are some tips for veterinarians when they suspect a Neospora outbreak or an, or an abortion storm or they have an increase in the endemic abortion level in a herd? What should they do to try to get a diagnosis uh, of Neospora? Sure. Great question. And, and I would say just as a general rule, it never hurts to call your diagnostic lab and yeah. ask them what samples they're looking for, of course. But with Neospora particularly, the most common site to find the parasite in an aborted fetus is going to be in brain or brain material. And so if we're not submitting the whole fetus, we certainly want to submit that brain. And here is where I would say, even if that brain is liquefied or semi-liquefied, mm -hmm. try to preserve that material and submit that as well. Again, talk to your lab to, to see which is the best way to submit that. Uh, but if we can submit some of that brain material, that increases our odds of finding Neospora. And then certainly with any abortion, we want to submit the placenta when possible. I realize sometimes that's hard to do. Uh, but especially with Neospora as well, it will help if we can submit some of those cotyledons or the placenta itself to help with the diagnosis. And is it useful to submit serum samples from the dam or several aborting dams? Yes. Thank you for adding that. It, it definitely is. Um, and I would say, you know, we want to submit. And like you say, it probably helps to submit uh, serum sera from multiple dams to compare that from with multiple dams that have not aborted uh, because certainly we know that a cow can be infected and not abort so she can just because she's serologically positive doesn't confirm that an abortion is due to neospora and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, but being serologically positive increases the risk of abortion um, and so having a group of cows that have aborted to compare to a group that hasn't aborted, 
certainly will strengthen your case. Um, and what they say for a diagnosis of Neospora when talking about abortion, it's more a, a kind of crossing a whole checklist of things in that, yes, we find the, the parasite, the Neospora parasite. Yes, the cow serologically positive, but we've also ruled out some of those other things. So it's not one of those straightforward diagnoses where, yes, the dam is serologically positive, that confirms the diagnosis. Unfortunately, it's a little more complex than that. Yeah, and so a positive uh, ELISA test from a cow. Mm-hmm. What 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 does that mean? Sure, a positive ELISA test uh, means she's been exposed to Neospora, and the thing with Neospora, a cow usually doesn't clear that infection, so it probably means she is infected with Neospora. Um, does that mean she's going to abort? Not necessarily. Is she more likely? Yes, absolutely. So how much more likely is she? That kind of depends. Most people would say somewhere around three to four times more likely to abort than a cow that is not serologically positive. Uh, But that number can go up to six to eight times more likely. So if you're screening your herd and you get a positive ELISA test, that means that cow is infected with Neospora and is more likely to abort than those that aren't serologically positive. And those cows are infected for life. They'll be positive for life typically? That is correct. Um, now, what does change a little bit is that serologic titer. So they may on occasion go, uh, they may have a negative titer, for example. But if you were to actually look more closely at the cow and take some other tests, look at tissue cysts, that cow would still be positive, even though serologically she can be negative. And that's the other point I think we need uh, to be aware of as veterinarians is that um, it is possible for a cow to be positive and still show a negative serologic test. Okay. Okay. And is that, so is there value in Serial blood samples from cows? Yes, there is value in serial tests because a cow that is negative serologically but is actually positive, she will become serologically positive later on. And so um, taking that test three months later or a couple months later hopefully will give us a better sense of her true status as regards to Neospora. And you talked about recrudescence of the parasite. Are there risk factors for that, such as, you know, maybe a cow? Obviously, BVD would come to mind, uh, you know, if there were circulating BVD in the herd and, and the cow had some immunosuppression or maybe some, you know, dietary challenges or concurrent diseases. Would that potentially increase the risk of recrudescence and abortion? Is there any evidence of that? It certainly would. It's still, that's one facet of Neospora that we don't fully understand. Mm. We know that the parasite forms these thick-walled tissue cysts that are essentially hidden from the immune system. And so what makes them recrudesce? We're not sure. Certainly, we think about the common things like you just mentioned, stress, disease. Uh, There's some thought that pregnancy, the immune status is downregulated, and so they may be some recrudescence during mid-gestation, which is actually why we see those parasites. But the firm evidence behind that is, is still being worked out at this point. So we don't know those exact factors with certainty right now. Okay. And then what about... Uh, 
herds that are purchasing replacement heifers or even uh, cows, um, if there's no history there, is there value in, in, in uh, um, you know, a pre-purchase blood test uh, for Neospora? Yeah, there there definitely is. Certainly, if that's something you're concerned about and you've been monitoring in your herd or the buyer's herd, um, I think at, at the very minimum, you should, you know, check a little bit of history from the seller's herd on their reproductive success, presence of abortion. But then, right, just running an ELISA on all of those purchased animals to make sure that they're not ELISA positive is very valuable in, in catching those cows because, like we said, they're not going to be showing signs of disease regardless of their infection status. So that screening test will help quite a bit. Okay. All right. And we talked a little bit about vertical transmission, positive cow, uh, in utero infection of the fetus. If we don't get an abortion and that fetus is born and we're just going to assume it's a heifer, is that heifer always positive, likely positive? How should that be managed? That's, that's a great question. And that's probably the bigger issue for control on, on a lot of our herds, particularly herds where there's a higher prevalence. So a couple of things can happen to that uh, fetus that's developing in a, in a cow that's infected. One, it can be aborted like we talked about. Um, it, can be, uh, it can be born, uh, it can be stillborn, or it can be born with deficits where they're ataxic, uh, proprioceptive deficits, Usually that manifests as newborns within the first two months, fairly uncommon. Um, or there is a chance that that calf is born healthy and it is um, neospora negative. So the question then is how often is that parasite, neospora, transmitted to the calf? And that varies a little bit. We know that as prevalence in the herd goes up, vertical transmission also increases. So the rate of vertical transmission can approach 85 to 95% in herds where there's a high prevalence. In herds where there's a lower prevalence, it's more likely that that calf may be born negative, but hard to say without testing those calves. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about control methods now, which veterinarians should do to implement those preventive medicine programs onto herds uh, and, and make sure that we're getting healthy live calves born. Positive animals. So you have a, you know, if a, if a herd does some screening, should we, should we call positive animals? That, that is one option. Um, and I would say um, that could be a good option depending on the level of prevalence. If somebody goes through and tests a herd and they're 80, 90% positive, it's going to be hard to call that that much of a herd. On the other hand, we don't necessarily have to call those positive cows because we know there's very little risk of her transmitting the infection to her herd mates. And so in that case, if we're going to keep that cow around, what's probably more important is that if she has a heifer calf that's potentially a replacement heifer, that we follow up, do some testing on that heifer to make sure she is not infected before we add her to the breeding herd and continue to propagate the cycle. Okay. So you're trying to break that 
vertical transmission uh, and potentially call the heifers that are positive? Potentially call the heifers. Some people would argue any heifers born to a positive cow, you can just go ahead and call them uh, rather than raising them potentially as replacements. But if if somebody really wants to potentially keep some heifers, I would say definitely test them. Again, just like you say, trying to break that cycle of vertical transmission. Do you have to test them pre-colostral or can those heifers be tested at any time? That's a great question. They could be tested at any time. And in fact, uh, testing them pre-colostral intake may be a benefit uh, because the calf in late gestation is uh, immunologically competent. So if she has been exposed, she should have antibodies at the time that she's born. And that way that sample is not confounded by potentially the dam's antibody status. So testing her at any time uh, would be worthwhile. Okay. All right. And what about dogs? That was a very common question I got in a few herds that we had abortion storms and the farmer's like, okay, we got to get rid of the dog. Uh, it Should we test the dogs or is there any reason to get rid of them, limit the number of dogs on a dairy? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that is a very common question. And unfortunately, as far as testing dogs, dogs, we don't have a great test for dogs. And in fact, they're positive only for a very brief period. We're talking a couple weeks at most. And so testing dogs is different. Even doing a fecal float or a fecal smear, it's really hard to find that parasite. Um, so the bigger thing, I would not say you have to get rid of dogs. We do want to try to limit their access to feed, particularly when we're making a TMR or something that we're going to feed to a bunch of cattle. If we can keep them from defecating in the feed, that's going to keep that parasite out of there, even if they are infected. But the way the diagnostics are on the small animal side, uh, from my understanding, it's just a little difficult right now to con uh, convincingly say this dog is positive or not positive and make decisions based on that. Okay. All right. And then, you know, we talked about dogs and, 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 preventing the defecation in the feed bunks. What are some other control methods that veterinarians may recommend to their producers to decrease the risk of transmission and or abortion? Great question. I, I mean, I think, you know, proper management and disposal of aborted fetuses is, is going to be key. Um, so certainly that's where we think those dogs are going to be exposed to the parasite is through an aborted fetus or the afterbirth. So if we're cleaning, picking those up, cleaning those up, uh, routinely without letting dogs get at those, that will help. Obviously, that's a little easier said than done. Uh, in a cow-calf situation, rather than dogs, it may be coyotes. And so maybe that means, you know, putting fencing around our round bales where our coyotes aren't nesting in our round bales, things like that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that is just uh, always wise to to for for veterinarians to make sure they tell their producers to you know clean up placentas clean up uh aborted fetuses and and be clean uh in in the close-up pen and the maternity area uh as best you can because that's going to be a lot of control methods obviously uh help with many etiologic agents and uh you know you you want to make sure that you're uh implementing those control methods for your clients farms Lastly, BJ, let's talk a little bit about 
you know, advanced reproductive technologies. Let's say a producer has a, a, a valuable uh, genetic cow and they're positive to Neospora. What could we do to capture that genetic value in the face of that positive test? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And certainly that's a scenario that we run into a lot, unfortunately. Um, but I would suggest if, if her genetic merit or if her genetic worth merits it, embryo transfer would be a great option. Um, and so certainly what we would want to do is test the recipients, make sure we're not taking that embryo and sticking that into another Neospora positive cow. But embryo transfer has been suggested as the way to kind of work your way out of it without calling cows, uh, as that should be pretty safe um, for keeping that calf protected. And you can still capture the genetic merit of the dam without the risk of Neospora transmission. Those are great tips, uh, BJ. I want to thank you for being a part of our podcast today. I want to just remind our listeners that it's important. This is Neospora is the number one uh, diagnosed cause of bovine abortion. And it's important for veterinarians to review that life cycle and talk to your producers about that. Uh, a very good tip from BJ, BJ is call your diagnostic lab. Uh, I always, when I was in practice, found them to be incredibly helpful in assisting me in determining what they need sent. Uh, and it's always a good idea to send the fetus, placenta, and blood. Uh, you can't send it if it's in the ground and you did the necropsy and didn't send in all the tissues. So cast a wide net and make sure that you're sending the appropriate samples because abortions can be very frustrating to work up and diagnose. Um, make sure that you understand that a positive ELISA cow uh, increases her risk of abortion and understand that vertical transmission and screen heifers from those positive cows, especially in herds that have that higher prevalence and determining that prevalence in a herd that has a higher uh, rate of abortion is always a good idea. Make sure that you're implementing control measures to prevent that transmission, as BJ suggested, uh, managing uh, dog feces, as well as their access to uh, fetuses, placentas, birth fluids, etc. And then finally, uh, work with your producers with those high genetic cows that may have uh, a positive Neospora ELISA test and discuss with them the potential of propagating those good genetics through advanced reproductive technologies. I want to thank our reproduction committee for mentioning this uh, um, topic for our podcast, encourage our members to get involved with AABP. And BJ, thank you so much for being a part. Thanks for having me, Fred. I really appreciate it, and I hope it was helpful.